I mean, I have a, a expression that I like to say for this sort of discussion. Of, yeah. Should you hire a freelance writer? Should you hire an expert? Whatever. It's if you want an article about how to unclog a toilet, don't hire a freelance writer, hire a plumber. <laughs> yeah. Because there is gonna, their article, even if they can't write, is going to be way better than the freelance writer. We've all read this. I'm sure you, you can relate, Alex. You go to a page and you can just tell it's just some freelance writer who's <laughs> never done, does no idea what they're talking about. They just opened eight tabs, regurgitated what they read. It's yeah. already ranking. And that's, it's past this coffeescape. That's the article. <laughs> you can create something truly original in the real original content sense of the word by hiring someone who's actually lived through the thing. You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, where we talk about how to drive business and marketing success. This episode is a discussion with Brian Dean, founder of Backlinko, which is one of the leading SEO blogs on the planet and co-founder of Exploding Topics. We talk about what's working today, how to rank a website from scratch, how big brands can leverage SEO, and where SEO is going in the future, plus a lot more. So let's get into it. Today, we're talking with Brian Dean, the founder of Backlinko, the co-founder of Exploding Topics and creator of SEO That Works. Is that still the case? Yeah, yes, it's still you. It's still you, right? It's all that's all you. And that is by far the best SEO training program on the internet. So if you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend um, that. That's something um, to check out. Yeah. Um, so I think I saw your. I think the first time I heard about you, Brian, was on the OK Dork blog. I think it was something mm. with Noah Kagan at the time. Yeah. So just quickly, let's start by how did you get into SEO? So I got into SEO from basically my trying to rank my own sites that I had back in the day. So I launched my first website ever in 2008 and I had, a, I did everything backwards. You know, today, if you want to launch a site or even back then, the smart play was to build an audience, build an email list, uh, create a product based on what those people want, beta test it, get feedback. But I didn't know what I was doing. So I did everything backwards. I created the product first. I had no idea if there was demand for the product. There wasn't. I had no idea how to get people to actually go to the sales page or buy it. So I just created this huge sales page, a product, upsells, everything except traffic. And I had no idea how to get traffic. So when I looked around, it was kind of like SEO is the thing to do because it's basically back then there was still social media, but it was more or less like pay-per-click and SEO were the big two things you could do. And I was like, well, I'm living in my parents' basement, so pay-per-click is out. <laughs> so let's go with SEO. That seems a lot more accessible. So that's, that's how I started getting into it. And when was that? Is that back in that 2008? 2008? And then according to your LinkedIn, because like I was trying to think the first time I heard about you, but I was like, that's not going to be helpful. So I checked out like your LinkedIn. It says that you, that you found a backlinker back in 2013. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So in the five years between that point and the starting, the basically the founding of Backlinko. Well, what happened in that the five years? Uh, a lot of hard learning. <laughs> a lot hard of learning, learning. the hard way, basically. Yeah. Um, so after that product didn't do well, yeah. I was like, but from reading all this SEO stuff, I got sort of introduced to this subculture of niche sites and ranking mm. sites that were designed to rank for one keyword, exact match domains, AdSense, that whole world. And that appealed to me a lot because I had never built a business and I was like, this just seems so easy. Like a lot of people, that's how I really started getting into SEO was like trying to rank these little niche sites. And I had some successes here and there, but for the most part, it was a struggle of like going up, going down. And in between these sort of low points, I would, I was a freelance writer. So I would do freelance writing, freelance copywriting to pay the bills. And then when things were good, I would stop doing that stuff and I would (laughs) just make money from AdSense. But it was Mm -hmm. very peak and valley until the summer of 2012 is when I finally sort of put the pieces together and launched a successful website of my own. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I used White Hat SEO for the first time. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Let me uh, learn more about this whole white hat SEO thing, which I never paid attention to, but I couldn't really find anything out there about it. And I realized that there was probably a gap in the market there. So I created Backlinko as the blog that I wanted to read. Yeah, right. And so that was, 
seven years and eight months ago, roughly, according to the LinkedIn <laughs> start <laughs> you date. You seem like you would know better than me. Yeah, 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 no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I like to do my research, um, but mm-hmm. quite a lot's changed since that time, but there's also stuff that hasn't changed, right? So let's start with, yeah. of course, what hasn't changed? In what that hasn't time? changed? Yeah, what hasn't changed? Because yeah. obviously there's some, there's some core fundamentals, I think, that have been the same since I started. I mean, how long ago now? Yeah, but so, yes, what hasn't changed? Let's start with that. The first thing that hasn't changed is the importance of targeting one keyword, having a keyword on your page, having keywords on your page like the traditional on-page stuff, the way Google evaluates a page, it's more sophisticated now, but it's very difficult to rank for anything competitive if you don't have that exact keyword on your page. And I think Mm -hmm. that'll probably always be the case, no matter how sophisticated Google gets. Um, The other thing that hasn't changed is the importance of backlinks, that Google still upranks pages and websites that have lots of backlinks. So it's something that is probably a little less important than it was, seven years and eight months ago, (laughs) but it's still super important. And we ran a big ranking factor study uh, earlier this year. We analyzed 11 million Google search results and we found that links still correlate with rankings really highly. And that links to a page correlate, the whole domain authority of a site. So all the links that point to the site, that stuff hasn't changed one bit, I would say, except for the fact that links are probably a little bit less important and you don't need to go crazy with exact you know, the exact keyword on your page as many times. But those fundamentals, as you called them, which is absolutely correct, Alex, haven't really changed at all. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and you just mentioned, I oh, will come back to backlinks for a second. Yeah. But what has changed? Let's say in the last three years, right? Cause like, because obviously the things have changed. I think you just kind of spoke about, you don't need to get like kind of like as many links anymore. Like, like, is that the one thing, but Yes, what has changed in the last three years? The biggest thing is probably Google's ability to measure uh, search intent and whether or not the results are giving people what they want and moving things around accordingly. Like back in the day, it was, you know, you could search for a competitive keyword and the top 10 results would be more or less the same for months. You see one, you know, from one go from four to three, one go from one to two, there'd be some shuffling around. But because it was based on links, you know, it wasn't, there weren't these dramatic changes, like one site would get like a thousand links in a day and it would change. But now Google can measure whether or not the search results are giving people what they want and the results are moving accordingly. So even in real time, like if you search for something that just happened, like on TV, Google will shuffle the results based on how people are interacting with that results, like with mm-hmm. the results. So like the last Game of Thrones, for example, if you search for Game of Thrones the day before the, the end, it would be a certain set of results and the next day it'd be a completely different set. And part of it is because new pages are coming out, but a lot of it's because people aren't clicking as much on Wikipedia or, or HBO. They're clicking on the Deadspin article about it. They're clicking on all the, the people that were poo-pooing on the episode. Mm-hmm. Google is measuring that and they're putting they're matching the results accordingly. So they're really good at figuring out, are these results making people happy? And if they aren't, they're perfectly happy, completely rearranging the results until they have something that makes people happy. Yeah, right. And so you have had some pretty, pretty awesome success, like in the SEO space, right? Like, not only have you been able to rank our website and get a bunch of traffic, you know, from SEO, but you ranked it for the keyword SEO, which is probably like the hardest keyword to rank across any of them, right? Because there's so many people trying to do this, right? But then there's like you, in the basement of your parents can't afford ppc trying the niche sites and the adsense sites. i mean i did that stuff too right like trying to kind of arbitrage adwords trying to kind of just do the the make money fast stuff right but what do you think it was like with your approach that kind of worked because because something which you've done has led you to become the foremost expert in an extremely competitive industry yeah i mean it's it's a combination of things looking back now and Mm -hmm. reflecting on it it's a combination of things but i think the number one thing that helped me was that i did something different in the industry that hadn't that a lot of people weren't doing at the time which was 
giving people really tactical, actionable advice on the blog. And the reason I say that's so important is because that's one of the reasons that people link to Backlinko and considering links are so important, the way you get those links is a big reason of why a site succeeds or fails. And in my case, at the time, a lot of S most SEO blogs were like vague advice, um, a lot of like high level crap, you know, don't build links, build relationships with people. And it was not like they were wrong, but it was like, you'd read it and you'd be like, okay, no, I still don't really know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, let me do the complete opposite and just get rid of all the fluff and all the high level advice and just give people like really tactical stuff you could do right now to, to get higher rankings. Now, if you just did the tactical stuff, it's probably going to get you certain results, but like you found with SEO that works, it is helpful to have like a whole plan and a program and all that stuff. But for the sake of the blog, I focused on the tactical stuff and it seemed to resonate with people. And I would say it's the number one thing because it did double duty. It helped me stand out in the space, like you said, that's super competitive. But also those things rank really well in Google because of the, the things I mentioned before with the search intent. If you're searching for like SEO strategies or SEO techniques or a keyword like that, and you land on a page and it's like build relationships, create great content, all this fluff, you're going to bounce back to the search results. And then yeah. you're going to land on one that has actionable information. You're going to stick to it. And Google's going to measure it. And across the entire website, if all your content is like that, then it's going to have all the good engagement signals that Google wants and your traffic's going to go up. Yeah, right. And I think, like, I remember um, your first article. It was like, the, it was like a hundred packed. I forget what it was exactly, but it was some huge, big piece. Of, like, it was the biggest piece of content out there like, around the topic of SEO. And I think that was the advice which you were providing at the time is to create a piece of content that's so good that it's far superior compared to anything else out there. Yeah. Like, is that right? Like, is that what yeah, the exactly. strategy was I would say time? that's, I think that's still very much the strategy, but still yeah, at the now. time that was kind of my claim to fame thing was the that was your claim. technique. Yeah. yeah that the was skyscraper like, technique. That's yeah. the one I think. Yeah. That's the yeah, one. Don't, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like, I mean, there's, there's a case for creating something totally original, but there's also a case for seeing the landscape, seeing what's out there and just improving on it. And that was the approach that I had recommended that people take and, and branding in that way also helped because it was something we could all, like people could reference and link to mm -hmm. and talk about. And that was one of the reasons that it ended up, that strategy ended up getting some spread. But yeah, that's still, I mean, it's not exactly that strategy anymore, but there's, there's a 2.0 version that's on my blog, Skyscraper Technique 2.0. But yep. yeah, the same 1.0 still 100% applies. So high level, you know, what's the difference between the 1.0 and the, the 2.0? So the 1.0 is all about creating content to get links. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you find content that, that's ranking well, but also more importantly, has a lot of backlinks. And then you create something better. So then those people in the future who would have linked to the first piece of content will now link to yours. The problem was with that approach or the, the, the part that was missing was that user experience stuff we're talking about where, yeah, if you have a lot of links, it can help you get to the first page, but to stay there, you need to have content that's going to have people stick to your site and stick to your page and not bounce back to the search results. And the 2.0 is about applying the same philosophy, but to making your content sticky for people that are searching for that keyword. So they stay on your page and Google sees that as the best result for that search. Yeah, right. So like, I was having a look at um, the advanced SEO factors, the 17 advanced SEO factors, which are awesome, by the way. So anyone that's listening, you should go check that out on the Backlinko blog. But um, you talked about actually including stuff like animated GIFs because it keeps people kind of like engaged, right? It keeps people mm -hmm. there because it's so interesting. Um, how did you come up with stuff like that? You know, because I mean, this is like interesting stuff that you're experimenting with, right? And like you're doing it on a site that if you get it wrong, you lose a lot of traffic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, luckily, I don't think of that, of it that way, but you're right. Um, that, I'm sorry that to do that. So can... never think about that, no, please. Okay, now I'm paranoid. Now I'm not going to do anything. Now I'm not going to try anything <laughs> um, The animated images thing actually came from something where it, completely unrelated to SEO. It was just something we wanted to try for the sake of creating cool stuff. So what we we're doing before was for any sort of like, 
step-by-step um, -step process, we'd either have like a bunch of screenshots or a Wistia video that was like a couple minutes long. And we're finding that the problem with the screenshots is that you have so many that the pages gets enormous. And it's, it's kind of almost hard to follow in a way. Mm. And then having the Wistia video was like people would never click on it. So there was this new format called SVG. It's kind of like an animated GIF, but more sharp because animated GIFs tend to be kind of blurry. So it was like, you could just take a video clip, put it on a page and it would automatically play. And it's great because it's like an animated GIF, but it looks really nice. So we started mm -hmm. using those for a little tutorial steps. And as it turned out, people really liked them. And I noticed that pages that had those, people would stick to the page a little bit longer, which just makes sense because as you're scrolling down, it catches your eye. You're more likely to stop, watch it, and then not hit your back button, which is what you want, you know, as few people to do as possible. Yeah, well, yeah, because I can attest that, like, like as I was scrolling through the advanced SEO tactics, I saw some animated GIFs, and I lingered on them. I was like, this is interesting. I haven't seen it before, right? And so there's the whole thing of if something's fresh, it gives you an advantage, right? But if everybody starts to do it, yeah. <laughs> then you're going to find the next thing. Um, but just quickly, just coming back to the content, right? Like is to find the content that's already out there that has a bunch of links and make something better. Now that was the skyscraper technique that is still the skyscraper technique. But since you started talking about the skyscraper technique, what was that like six, seven years ago or eight years ago, even um, the, the size of content has just gone out of control. Like there's some pieces of content that are just like 30 to 40,000 words long. Right. And so it's getting harder to compete in some spaces. Right. So how would you compete in something like that when there's, there's awesome content already out there, but you have to make it work somehow. Right. Like I say, for example, it's like a bet, right? It's a bet. And like, like, uh, the goal is to rank above that, that specific style. How would you do it? So yeah, it's, it's a good point. You're right. And as more P as the technique has become popular, yeah, every, it, the bar just keeps getting higher and higher. Um, so what I'd recommend if you find yourself in that situation where you're like, I want to create something better, but everything's already so long, so thorough, how can I do it? And I would recommend trying to compete on a different dimension than that. Because content length is, is one way to compete if you're like, okay, this one's not that thorough and I'm going to make it thorough. But there are other dimensions you can compete on besides just making it more thorough. Like for example, design. You can make your content just look better than what's out there. And for me, that's an easier one because so few people invest in their content design that they'll have like this huge long wall of text that has no animations or no visuals or no charts no screenshots and it's just kind of dry and you can create something that's really nice looking, really nice design helps people with different, with like videos and things of that nature, infographics. And that's one way you can compete. Another way to compete is to make your content, write your content, or I should say, have your con content written by someone who has done the thing they're writing about. And that sounds like an obvious thing, but you su be surprised how many like keywords you search for and like nine out of 10 of the articles, the person has no idea what they're talking about. They've never actually done the thing. Mm. So just by having someone who has real life experience, your content's gonna stand out. We've all read this. I'm sure you, you can relate, Alex. You go to a page and you can just tell. It's just some freelance writer who's <laughs> never done, does no idea what they're talking about. They just opened eight tabs, regurgitated what they read. It's <laughs> yeah. already ranking. And that's, it's past this copyscape. That's the article. <laughs> you can create something truly original in the real original content sense of the word by hiring someone who's actually lived through the thing. So, you know, let's say you're writing an article about uh, the keto diet. Well, you should hire like someone who's done it or a dietitian who believes in it or someone who's a scientist in the space. That's going to have a lot more pop than a piece of content written by a freelance writer who's, never dieted has no idea what it is just learned about it today mm. when they got the brief um so that's another dimension you can compete on so i would look out if someone has ten thousand words i wouldn't be like well now i need to do twenty thousand words because yeah. at some point it gets ridiculous and it also yeah. doesn't help with search intent because if i'm searching for something i probably don't want twenty thousand words so 
there are other dimensions you can compete on besides just writing a big long piece of content. Yeah, right. And so you just mentioned something super interesting. Um, you mentioned actually just going and hiring experts, like and so not hiring people who write, but kind of hiring people that are experts who can write, right? And so is that a part of like your workflows? But say for example, like if you had to to rank a website in a specific uh, specific like niche, for example, like is it to find the expert to help you to create that content first, then create the content after that? Is that how you would approach it? Yeah, for it? sure, man. Absolutely. I mean, I have a, a expression that I like to say for this sort of discussion. Of yeah. Should you hire a freelance writer? Should you hire an expert? Whatever. It's if you want an article about how to unclog a toilet, don't hire a freelance writer, hire a plumber. <laughs> yeah. Because there is gonna, their article, even if they can't write, is going to be way better than the freelance writer because they have the real life experience they can draw on. They know how it actually works between the lines. Like they know the details. They can even say, Oh, one time there was this clogged toilet and I use this thing and got it. Like, yeah, that's that's, that stuff is gold. That's content gold. And you can't get that from someone who has eight tabs open is putting it into their head, regurgitating it, and then putting it into slightly different words. So yeah, I have had a couple of projects that I've worked on since Backlinko. I write everything for Backlinko myself, but for other projects, and I always look for bloggers in the space that are writing about it because those people are usually living it. Like for nutrition stuff, there are tons of mommy blogs where the moms are like feeding their kids different diets or have all, you know, they're eating this diet and that diet. And they're perfect for that sort of thing. Arts and crafts, people that have write about the arts and crafts and sell their stuff on Etsy that's going to be a lot better than a freelance writer. It's a little bit like it's less convenient because you can just go on Upwork and just be like mm. freelance writer for 500 words and like look through all of them, find the best deal, you know, their reviews and all this stuff. So it's a, it's a lot more back and forth. But if you really care about creating something special and you're like, oh man, we're in this competitive space, how are we going to compete? The number one thing I would recommend is have experts write your content. And they don't even have to necessarily write the final draft. Like if they suck at writing, yep. that's okay. Let them provide the details. You can even do an interview like this. Extract just the knowledge from their mind. And then you can clean it up later with an editor uh, to make it read well. Yeah, right. And so would you outreach to the blogger or would you call yeah. up like, the local plumber, for example, if you can't find a plumber <laughs> blogger, say, for example? Yeah. How far would you go to get that content? How far would you go? Yeah, I mean, if... It, I would do whatever, like I basically wouldn't publish content if it wasn't written by someone who knows what they're talking about. Now there are exceptions to this rule. I should say like, if you're writing about like the news, then you're not gonna find an expert on every single topic under the sun. Or like for exploding topics, we have a blog there and we write about the fitness industry trends. We write about uh, the SaaS industry trends. We write about streaming services industry trends. For that, we do a more journalistic approach where we look at different stuff and we cite other people, other experts work. We don't have a fitness in industry expert for one because then mm -hmm. it's just unwieldy. But for mm -hmm. most sites, they have one niche. Like this, that's mm -hmm. a weird case because we cover all different niches. But most sites cover one thing like plumbing or home decor or uh, DIY or marketing or health or nutrition. Like they cover one niche. So then you only really need to find really one or two experts and you're good to go. So I would go whatever length it takes. And the key and so is what really do you like, say to them? Oh, sorry, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I just key, say basically I want to hire the you. Key is really what? Then no, let's not stop that point. The key is really <laughs> well, the key is really just to have them involved. It it can be it how the the relationship works can be will be different depending on how it goes. Like if you want to hire a plumber, maybe they don't have a lot of writing experience or writing online. So in that case, you may just want to do a phone call, extract as much, be like, if you were writing an article about this plumbing situation, what would you tell people? Or someone in real life is searching for this plumbing solution. What five things would you give them? And then have them explain it, transcribe it, and then you can turn that into something. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you might be in a niche where there's bloggers that write about it. In that case, you can just go directly to them and be like, I want to hire you for a project how much would you charge for an, a blog post like this one that's already published on their blog? And it's mm -hmm. kind of like Upwork, ghetto Upwork. You can reach out to like eight people, <laughs> see which ones reply, how good they are. 
and then choose one based on a combination of like their writing style, their price and all that stuff. Yeah. Like the thing I like about that, and this is kind of the approach, which I've always seen succeed. Like it's the approach I've taken anyway, like, and it's, but the approach I've seen across the board is if you're prepared to go that extra step a bit like, and to work a fraction harder than everyone else is, um, that's where the best results are. And it seems like what people are thinking is like, well, that extra step is just more words, but it's not, it's improved quality. It's improved kind of stuff on the page. Right. And so it could be a shorter, like it, it could be a piece of content that is basically shorter, but that's better. Right. And it's kind of yeah. to do the harder things, right. Like, and to take those steps first. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it's more about content density, right? It's like the plumber is going to just cut right through the BS because they don't even, they don't even under, like the plumber doesn't even know to write fluff. He's like, why would I do that? I'm just going to give people <laughs> the shortest stuff, right? It's only freelance writer and SEO people who are so like jaded and like we have this bizarre outlook. We're like, oh, we need to write like 2000 <laughs> words. The plumber would just be like, here's a boom, boom, here's exactly what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Exactly. Okay, cool. So next question. Um, so like if you had to start again, um, start again from scratch and you had no personal brand, so what would your approach, like, could you talk about the approach that you would use to rank in a competitive space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the number one thing I would do is that a lot of people skip over is I would create a, like a brand from my blog. And the reason I say that is because everyone's going to jump right into content and keywords. And one of the things that helped me with Backlinko, and I've seen it happen in other niches too, where people enter competitive niches really late, is they create, they create a little niche for themselves that help them stand out. So let's say you have like a services company. Your services company is going to have a brand. And your blog can just be an extension of that, as opposed to just a collection of articles. And it sounds like a minor difference, but it's actually really important because if you think about like the Mo, like Moz, for example, hmm. their software, they had their company has this whole mission and blog and their mission, their staff, product, all that stuff. Their blog also has its own personality, its own USP. And people visit it for that reason. They link to it for that reason. So I would do something like that. I would look at your blog like a product or like a marketing mm -hmm. campaign and think of how, do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. If everyone's writing long stuff, write short stuff. If everyone's writing short stuff, write long stuff. If everyone is doing text, do video. If everyone's doing videos, do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And of course you still want the foundation of any SEO campaign is going to be text-based guides and articles and that nature. But outside of that, what else can you do? And one of the things that probably not as many people are doing are like videos and podcasts like you're doing, Alex. Mm. It's, it's, you're probably finding it's competitive, but much less competitive than the SEO world. <laughs> and in your niche, it's going to be different. Like what people are doing and not doing, but that's going to be the key to standing out is figuring out a platform or something that's going to help you stand out. And it could also be a niche. You could just write about one tiny niche for a while. Like when I started back Linko, I only wrote about link building for like a year. And that helped me stand out from the other SEO blogs because the other ones were talking about on-page SEO and keyword research and all this stuff. And I pretty much stuck to link building for a year. That helped me stand out. And then from there, you can just, you can expand out into to more stuff. That way you're known. This can help your brand. That's the blog about whatever, B2B SaaS. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that's the blog about keto diet desserts. If you have that little niche, it helps it stick in people's mind. It's like that 22 mutable laws of marketing. They talk about that. People only have space for like one or two brands in a category. So if you can be in that category, you can get some mind share as opposed to being the hundredth blog about marketing or the hundredth <laughs> blog about weight loss. Cool. So that's fantastic advice. And so now I've got the brand, I've got the blog, I'm doing the topics like around like a niche. How do I get those fantastic links that everyone keeps talking about? You know what I mean? Like, cool but I've just started out now. Right. And so I don't have relationships. I don't have all these people that I know that have, you know, articles and blogs, like how would you start, you know? So what's the first thing that, yeah. that you would do in that scenario? Well, it's funny. I was in this situation a few months ago because when I started exploring topics with my co-founder, Josh, 
he had no audience needed no one knew who he was and i really wanted to use that as a way to see exact to answer this exact question without me being involved so mm. i didn't do any outreach for that site i didn't do any link building for that site i had him really handle it using my strategies to really put them to the test with a new site with no mm -hmm. anything zero starting from absolute scratch so one of the things that he did that worked really well was going on podcasts actually for building links because he reached out to podcasts, targeted podcasts, and he gave them a great pitch about why he would be a great fit for that specific audience. And even though no one knew this guy, it was like he was, these emails are coming, Josh, they had no idea who this guy was. And he had like a 20% conversion rate on his outreach because what he did was he really focused on, he made each pitch tailored for each podcast. So if there was a podcast about, um, how to create a software, a piece of software, he would really focus on that part of the thing, how I created the software from scratch. If he had another podcast about acquisitions, he'd be like, how I got Brian Dean to buy my product. If he had an, it was a different podcast about marketing, he'd be like, how I got on the front page of Hacker News. And he would tailor that story for everyone. And he would go on and be like, I'll tell the story to your listeners. And because no one knows Josh, it's almost even better because you're going to be the only guy who has a story versus mm. if you have me on other than 150 podcasts so <laughs> it's good but it's not like having this guy even though he's not you know well known he has a unique story to tell so people were surprisingly receptive to him and those are great links because they usually go on pretty authority sites mm. and you get a link in the show notes so mm -hmm. that's something that really worked well um, another thing we did that worked well was broken link building where we found broken links and then pitched expo the exploring topics tool as a replacement for the deadline. So does that still work? Cause like I've seen so yeah. many of those things just done poorly. Um, what's involved in doing it well then? Because like, geez, it's, it's just being done again with a shortcut way, right? Like it's yeah. all just like not quality. So how, you know, so what's the strategy there just quickly, you know, just super high level. The, the key is to really find um, places where your link would replace the dead one. Because what a lot of people do, the mistake they make is they're like, you have a dead link on this page. Can you link to me from this totally other page? It doesn't make sense. What you really want to do is add value with your broken, out, your broken link building outreach. You want to make it actually make their site better at the end. So what you do is say, this is a broken link to this thing. Here is something that's very similar. That way they don't have to find a replacement you're actually making their life easier. The mistake a lot of people make is they use it as a way to get their foot in the door. Like, oh, you have a broken link. Can you also link to me from this other random page? So that person still has to find a replacement mm -hmm. for the dead link and then find a place where your link makes sense. So the key is to send fewer emails, but make sure that wherever that broken link is, you can just slide right in there. And that is gonna work a lot better. And that worked really well for us. So those are the two things that, that worked the best. That's great, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Um, that as well. Um, the other cool. So at the completely out of the end of it, right? The big brands, right? That already have tons and tons and tons of links. If you step in now to advise them on their SEO, right? Because they want to rank for their top say phrase, say for example, it's a home loans company and they want to rank for home loans and not ranking for home loans, but they've got all these backlinks and they've got all this authority what would you advise them as a strategy to kind of increase overall traffic and sales and you know all the parts mm -hmm. well the first thing i do with a big site like that is look at how many pages they have and see if we can trim that down a little bit and especially redirect some old pages to higher priority ones that's usually the best first move because what happens is when you take on a new site you're usually dealing with like it's almost like a like a patient in a hospital, like they've had a history of problems. <laughs> you got to get to their, you got to go back to their whole medical history to get to today. So what you can do, what I recommend doing is looking at all the pages on their site and seeing which ones don't bring in any traffic. And especially those that have links, but don't bring in any traffic. Those are gold because those pages are basically collecting dust, not really doing anything. And you can redirect them to relevant pages on the site that you're actually trying to rank. You're also going to have tons of pages that, don't have links and don't bring in traffic I call them zombie pages you can delete those and just by deleting those you can increase your site's rankings because you're going to condense your your page rank across your site 
And also Google has even said that just they prefer to rank sites that have fewer higher quality pages. So the, it's not to say you need like a tiny site with 10 pages, but if you have a lot of other pages, they can, they're dead weight that's holding you down. That's always the first move that I make with sort of a big brand that I work with. And what's the second move? Cool. So that's now cleaned up and now it's time to get kind of proactive on creating stuff, right? So that's kind of, you know, um, shrinking or kind of, um, yeah. Yeah. Like reducing what's the next part, you know? So what would you create then? Like, is it going to be like a link building strategy, a content strategy? What's the strategy well, that you would do for them? Yeah. It's kind of hard to say cause it's, it depends a little bit on the site, but in general, general I still rules. wouldn't even get it to the creation yet. Honestly, I would okay. look at those landing, those home loan landing pages that you talked about and be like, why aren't they ranking? Like what's wrong with the actual page? Um, is it not optimized? Well, is it slow? Is it, should it have some functionality that other pages have? Like if you look at the top 10 results, do they all have a calculator and you don't have a calculator? You just have a form for people to submit stuff like that. I would basically look at the search intent for the keyword and be like, why isn't this page ranking? If you, the site has all the links and it's, you know, trimmed up, this page has a good chance to rank, but what is it about the page? And I would look at each of those pages individually and figure out what they're missing or what they have extra. Maybe they're too long, but what is that missing variable? Like I've worked with a lot of brands and you go through the top 10 results. The pages are almost identical across all the brands. And then they have one that's like an odd man out. It doesn't really fit now. And just by tweaking it and making it match a little bit, it can do a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen this happen time and time again. And usually for a lot of loan, that kind of loan, personal finance yeah. industry, it's a calculator. It's a function of some kind because the landing page, the person that did the landing page is a conversion guy usually. And they're like, Oh, what we need to do is like put a format above the fold and then people <laughs> land on into the form. But that's not how actually people get a loan. They calculate it first, they see the rate and then they might reach out and the other brands that do this best are going to rank and you're going to have a great conversion rate, but you're not going to have any visitors. So that's the first, the next thing I would do. So it's, kind of easier and kind of harder it's easier because you don't have to create as much stuff but it's harder because you need to kind of to like diagnose what is the problem and it's like a doctor like it's like the more experience the easier it is to diagnose um, but if you're a beginner you're not going to know what the issue is right so it seems to be easier but it's also got its own separate challenges right especially with, with site size and everything else that that could be happening on it like i i saw this interesting thing the other day because i conducted like an analysis of a website and i'd seen that the whole blog was no indexed yeah like it wasn't like no follow like it was just like no indexed but they were ranking at the top just for these extremely valuable words but all of the content was that but it was created a, i'd say a couple of years ago and it was all that you know, the thin content, right? But they are basically provide um, more business loans, right? And their content was like, cool, so how do you do like LinkedIn marketing? And it was like, you know, extremely short. They had all this stuff. And I was like, but they now indexed it. And I was the first time I'd seen a company put that across their whole blog and still have ranked so highly. So have you seen that before? like this whole thing of to not actually index it, but it still passes authority as far as I could tell to the main page. Yeah, no, I've never, I've seen um, not that, but I've seen people no index content as an alternative to deleting it when they don't want it around. Right. And that way it still exists. People can read it, but it's not. But does it have value? That's, yeah, that's sort of the idea. So it doesn't not have really, value. It's still followed really. though. It's just no indexed, right? I don't know. It was like, yeah, I mean, Google will crawl it, but then they're going to see it's no index. So then they're not going to index. It. Okay. Okay. So I would say I, it's not yeah. really do, I, I, unless because another thing that can happen is all the pages were indexed before the no index was, at, was added recently. So it hasn't kicked in yet. It could take weeks for that to actually kick in because Google has to crawl the page and see the no index and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Right. Hey, yeah. Look, yeah, that was Hard something I saw, and I was like, "Look, that's I'm gonna weird. ask. Yeah, I'm gonna speak to Brian, so I'm gonna ask him on it." Um, yeah, that's weird. Um, a few more questions around SEO, um, just because 
because that's basically like your specialty. Can you take down a website's rankings with toxic links? Do you think? I mean, like, pro- probably, but it's really hard. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Like it used to be a real problem and negative SEO as it's called, but negative SEO. It's, Google has over time become more chill about paid links and shady links. And the reason for that is because their algorithm before was had a tough deciding whether a link was legit or fake. And when in doubt, they would consider it legit. Um, Cause they had no way they had, I mean, they were able to filter a little bit, but they weren't that good at it. So what they did was when they found a site that was definitely spamming, they would penalize them. And that was what the Google penguin update was all about. And they would penalize them. And that would send a message to everyone else that don't do this. And it actually worked. Uh, people spammed a lot less after that. But what happened was people were like, this is great. You know, now I can just spam my competitor who's ahead of me and then they'll get knocked down and they're going to get, you know, go from one to 10 and I'm going to replace them. But which was happening. It was a real issue. Google over time has been able to just ignore bad links. And I've said several times in the record now that bad links, unless you're doing like a paid link campaign, they'll bust you with that and they'll give you an unnatural links penalty. But if you're doing like kind of general spammy stuff, it's very rare. You're going to get an algorithmic penalty because Google is really, is going to have a hard time saying it was actually you or one of your competitors trying to do it. It, how How could they ever even know that? So lately they've just been ignoring bad links. So it's probably possible in some, if you're good at it, but I don't even know enough about it. But in general, it's very rare. You see a site that gets penalized from, from that. Cool. So like, like blog networks, they used to be a thing and like, do they still work? Like, or is that just something? Uh, like, because I don't know it's like that. toxic. It could be fake, could be helpful. Is it something that still works? Probably to a certain extent, but it, it also depends a lot on the blog network. Like if you have a friend who runs his own private blog network of 10 sites that he's run for years, they're all on separate uh, hosts and all that stuff. And you pay him one-to-one for a link. That's probably going to help you. I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, mm. but it's probably going to help you. A blog network that's public and anyone can buy a link on it. That's just going to get busted eventually. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've seen it happen time and time again because they're just footprints that you have that it's all the big blog networks always say we have no footprint we have no footprint Google is able to figure it out and those usually those links usually get removed because the sites get the index and sometimes the sites who participate in that work get penalized who got links mm-hmm. from it so I would say it's probably it's not something I would recommend doing because the risk reward ratio just isn't there and it's also that shortcut that we've just been speaking about you shouldn't be taking because like if you put in a bit more effort and like if you do it the right way it's going to be long term because the part which i think everyone that hasn't achieved seo rankings yet should kind of understand is that once you get them and you get hooked on that traffic it's one of the only ways where you can get so much free traffic and money without spending money. And so once that happens, now all of a sudden, you're really scared about, oh, what if it goes down? This yeah. is my whole lifestyle. I pay for my family and my kids' school or my sports or my holidays. And now all of a sudden, you've got bills that are now relying on those SEO rankings, right? And now, like every time there's an algorithm update, you're sweating. <laughs> you're sweating big mm-hmm. time, you know? And because I've been like around now, this game for around 20 years right so i've been through florida and panda and penguin and all of the animals right and i've seen yeah. people come and go right like it's this like it's in a like an extremely big business that was extreme that was ex, um what's the word um extremely um what's the word like reliant on the search traffic and then when that goes they don't have a business anymore you know it's like so yeah. that's just kind of the word of warning, you know, to people out there that are thinking about doing the shortcuts because they work and then they work too well sometimes. And then all of a sudden you become reliant on it and it just hurts. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, I've been yeah. there. 
You've been there. I think we've all been there, right? Um, if you've been like in this space and you've experimented just for a while. Um, in terms of SEO in the future, like how do you see it changing in the next three to five years, let's say? Yeah, I would say that the number one thing that's going to change is that Google is going to get even more invested into user experience stuff outside of the things they're already doing. For example, they have a new set of ranking factors that are going to go live in 2021 called core web vitals. And this is like the logical progression of where Google has been going the last couple of years, because for the most part, how they used to operate was like passively, they would be like, okay, we'll index the web. And then whoever has the most links and the best stuff on their page will rank them. But then they sort of started realizing they could just dictate what happens online. So for example, they gave sites that had um, secure, that were SSL secured a boost in the rankings. And guess what happened? Millions of sites all of a sudden got around, finally got around to doing it. They had an update for page speed that sites that were slow got a down ranking. Guess what happened? Everyone started improving the speed of their site. They had another update that targeted sites that weren't optimized for mobile devices. Guess what? Every <laughs> site started switching to mobile devices. So they're becoming like, they're dictating the next move that all millions of sites are going to take. And the reason for that is because from their point of view, they want to rank sites that give people a good user experience. So the next thing they're doing is the core web vitals, which is, which are three like kind of mini ranking factors that are more or less like how fast the page loads and how quickly you can interact with it. And that is going to go live in 2021. And I think that whole core web vitals brand will be multiple things in the future. It's only three now, but I could see it being 10 or even 20 things in the future that whatever Google cooks up as important, they're going to put it under that umbrella and then everyone's going to start doing it. Um, so, but all of them will, will ultimately revolve around having a site that's like easy to read, easy to access, loads quickly, optimized for different devices. Like it's not, it's not anything crazy, but they're moving more towards that and away from some of the traditional stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, that's really interesting. And like, what about kind of, um, what was it called? Like, the voice search thing because like what was it like six seven years ago like it was going to be the future like it was going to be the number one spot because all of the search results were going to happen on like you know like on the series and you know the google homes and all that but that never really happened right like it no, didn't really it didn't. become that thing no. people still like to no. search on like their phones and on computers yeah. right that didn't change like it's like so like is that going to change you reckon or not yeah, well, I think, dude, the thing, have you done, like, a voice search on your phone? Not really, no. I kind of ask, like, what's the weather, what's the time, what's the yeah. time here, you know? It, yeah, it's, I, I don't know why it hasn't caught on, because I actually think it's it's much better than typing for a lot of keywords. Like you said, mm -hmm. it hasn't caught on at all. But, like, if you use it for certain key, for certain searches, it's so much faster than typing, and it's more accurate than typing. Cause that's the other sneaky bit about typing is that you make tons of mistakes. At least I do. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like, a, I just rely on autocorrect. So <laughs> but the voice like recognition technology that Google has is, is ridiculous. It's so good. It's like 99 points, it's way better than Apple's. If you try to do the com composing a, a text message and iMessage is terrible. Google's was really good. So another thing that I think is going to get big though is visual search. Um, Google has already talking about how they have something called Google lens that is basically searching with a picture and people are doing that more and more. Uh, they already have a billion searches on it and it just started. So if you open the Google app on your phone, there's a little like square thing and that's Google lens. They haven't mm -hmm. done any promotion, but it's already sort of taken off. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because it's really good at image recognition now. So you can take a picture of almost anything in your room and Google will be able to search for similar things, identify what it is and then search for similar things. So I, I see that being big for like, it's basically like baby AR, you know, baby augmented reality. Yeah. I can see that being like a real thing. And that's like a more in the five year thing where we're wearing like a, a Google glass, but like a 2.0 version that just augments stuff you're looking at. I don't think that's yeah, because, far off because if you use Google Lens, you're going to be like, this is the future. Yeah, like Google Lens, they launched Google Lens like 
must have been 10 years ago or something. Everyone freaked out because it was, you know, extremely invasive on everyone's privacy. I think we've come quite a long way since then. And I think everyone's going to be okay with it now, especially if it's a hundred dollars, um, which is, I think <laughs> it was like 500 bucks at the time or 700 bucks at the time. Um, that's interesting. Um, YouTube, like a couple of years ago, you started to go into YouTube as well and said, all right, I'm going to try to figure out the video ranking algorithm. It's like, cool. So I figured out, you know, search results and now I'm going to go into video and you figured it out. Like I've done your course. I've got your course. I've got all that stuff. I highly recommend it. Um, course. Is that available for sale still that course? Uh, yeah, but it's, we only launch it about once a year. Once a year. Okay. Well you should subscribe and yeah, we have a way to pay for it. Like, if you're into video stuff. Um, but, like how did you figure out that side of it because obviously it's very different to search right they have completely different kind of things which they look at and so you're like why the transition and how did you figure that out well the why was because we were talking about before like you got to do the opposite of what everyone's doing and no one was doing video in the seo space at the time like if you search for seo stuff on youtube it was all marketing gurus talking about niche sites and, you know, ranking and make money online. There was no like legit um, SEO stuff on YouTube. Now there's tons of them since I started it, but back then there was none. So I did it more as just a, as a way to stand out from the other blogs in the space. I started in like 2014 when I, I started in 2013, I put my first video, but I really got into it like late 2014, early 2015. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to like really get into it. But once I did, I was addicted because I noticed how many views you could get and how valuable these views were. People are watching you on video, your brand, you're sticking in their mind. Like it's such a powerful medium compared to text. Um, it's kind of like podcasts, like you're in their ear, they're, you know, you're kind of with them as they go through their day, super powerful medium. So I was sold on it from that point of view. Um, and then in terms of figuring it out, I mean, it took a long time. My first few videos didn't do well at all and they looked bad. I actually took one at a couple of them off YouTube because I was just embarrassed to even have them there. <laughs> they were so bad. I've done that too, by the way. I took down all my yeah. old videos. I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Cause I've, it got so much better recently. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Even if they get views, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want them to get views. I, I literally don't <laughs> want people to see them. So took them off YouTube. And just in terms of how to figure it out, it was just trial and error. It was just like with, with SEO for Google, it was just trying a bunch of stuff. And I discovered that there's a lot of YouTube ranking factors. Like you had mentioned, Alex, it's a totally different algorithm. In fact, in a lot of ways it's the opposite of Google because Google wants you to get like a quick answer and then go about your day. That's a win for Google with YouTube. They want you to stay on YouTube as long as possible, right? Mm. Watch more videos, watch more ads. They make more money. So the better your video can keep people engaged on the video and on YouTube in general, the better they're going to do. And yeah, there's like, a, there's of course keyword optimization and things of that nature are important, but at the end of the day, your video needs to keep people on YouTube and keep people on your video. And once I figured that out, it was just a matter of figuring out how to do that. Then I was like, okay, if that's the key. How do you keep people on your videos for as long as possible? And that's what I invested most of my time and energy into. And that's like in the, structure of the video right so there's kind of yeah exactly yeah, the quick intro and then hey this thing's coming up soon and at the end of the video i'm going to share some awesome stuff and blah, blah 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 like that kind of stuff where it's more like you're keeping them there so that's kind of the part which kind of like is that the part yeah like like I'm yeah exactly it's keeping them there there's a bunch of stuff like around that like on what the topic is what are the keywords on you know what's the length and all the other stuff what's but that's at the core, right? Is just create, create something that's super interesting to people, right? Exactly. Yeah. And structure it, like you said, the right way, like, mm. and have this structure that is proven that people are going to continue watching. And you said, you already mentioned a couple of things that can work well, like mentioning things that happen later in the video, the short intro or the compelling intro and getting right into it. Um, those they're kind of simple, but they work really well, especially if you follow the structure. It also makes videos a lot easier to make because when I first started making videos, I didn't really have a structure. I just knew what I wanted to talk about. 
and I would just fire up the camera and just start blabbing on. It was frustrating. <laughs> the videos came out terrible. And then now that I have a structure, and I just, it's so much easier to actually make the videos, plus they come out a lot better. Yeah, sure. And so if you had to choose between, uh, what's the word, like um, a top ranking on search or a top ranking with a video, you know, what would you prefer? Oh, search like a thousand times. It's not even close. Why is search so much better for you than video? Well, because they land on your website. You know what I mean? So it's like that you can get their email. You can, they can buy something from you. There's a, there's t- they can link to you. They can share it. There's tons of possibilities on YouTube. There's basically one possibility. They watch your video. Now, a lot of them will click over to your website and will search for you in Google. There's a lot of benefits to getting views on YouTube, but in terms of just like dollars and cents, man, I, I would definitely choose getting someone on my site from Google. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. Um, just quick, let's jump to exploding topics. Um, can you just explain what that is? Cause I've seen it, but I just like just to hear the high level, you know, mm-hmm. quick intro. It's a tool and newsletter for finding exploding topics before they take off. And what's the purpose of it? Like why this business, you know, so why did you do this business of all the next businesses to do, right? Like, you know, why this one? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it wasn't really planned to be honest. I, I wanted to build a trend tracking tool myself because I had seen firsthand how helpful that is to find topics that are trending and getting in on them early, whether it's for a product, whether it's for a piece of content, whatever. But there wasn't like a resource for finding these. So uh, there's Google trends, which is good for like confirming things you already know. So if you want to know if like ramen's increasing, you can go search, (laughs) but if you've never heard of ramen, it's not going to help you because there's no discovery element in Google trends. Mm -hmm. It's just confirming stuff, you know? So I wanted to create something that could help people discover things they didn't even know about yet that are trending. And I started building something in the, uh, in the back end. I hired a developer to work on it. And while this was like sort of going through the beta testing, alpha testing, uh, I came across this site called trend.co. And I was like, Oh man, this is like 10 times better than, um, anything I imagined. Like it's way better than I was building way better than I could even picture. And I reached out to the founder of that, who is Josh Howarth and ended up acquiring it from him. So since then we've been working on it together. And about six months ago, we took on another co-founder, uh, Kyle Byers from growth badger. He's our head mm-hmm. of growth. So it was sort of an accident. And then once we partnered up, like he was already doing great with it. And then once we partnered up, it started doing a lot better. I was able to give him resources and things like that. We rebranded it. It was called trend. Now it's called exploring topics. So it was a lot easier for people to share and talk about. Mm-hmm. And it started doing well. So I was like, wow, this seems like a good thing to, uh, to keep, keep going with. But yeah, at the time it was definitely not planned. It wasn't like my next thing is going to be this. It was more like I'm building something on the side, sort of a side project. And then when I saw a trend, I was like, no, this is exactly what a trend spotting tool needs to look like. And how should people actually be using it? Like, is it, yeah, like, could you explain, you know, like how this should be used? Because I'm assuming it's for SEO. It's not really for SEO. Like people use it for all different reasons. So our biggest use case are from investors and people in the like VC world, because they want to see like what's coming next, like the next trend, the next big thing, because then they can invest in that space. So if, you know, they get a company that comes to them with three, you know, kids with hoodies and they say they're in this space that they've never heard of, they're not going to take, they might not take them seriously and miss out on an opportunity. But if they read on exploring topics that this space is blowing up and these people are in it, they're like, perfect. So Mm -hmm. the main way people use it is actually from the email newsletter. We have like 70,000 subscribers, um, including Kevin Kelly, the founder of Wired, people from Apple, Slack, Andreessen Horowitz are all subscribed. And basically what we do is every week we send people kind of a, a collection of some of the best trends and then how you use those is up to you. Like, yeah, a lot of people do use them, Alex, for SEO and content and finding trends. I've used it myself for that. Like I've ranked for tons of keywords that I found from there that mm-hmm. were so early, but were trending up and create a piece of content and ranked like instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're at the time it wasn't getting much traffic, but every day they're getting more and more. That's definitely one way to use it. And it's one way that I personally use it, but 
there's all different use cases. Uh, we have people from e-commerce who are like, I you know, have a Shopify store. I want to create, get a new product category. So air fryers might be blowing up. I want to create an air fryers category on the e-commerce site. So mm-hmm. kind of a lot of different use cases um, for the product, but they all have one thing in common that people want to see what's next before it becomes like mainstream. Yeah, right. Hey, right. Um, well, I've subscribed to so 70,001 um, subscribers. <laughs> nice. Well, welcome. <laughs> cool. So you can add like web profits in yeah. to that list yeah. of awesome companies. Yeah, next there. time I mention all the people that are <laughs> Kevin Kelly, <laughs> uh, Slack, web profits. <laughs> That's perfect, man. Um, cool. So just some quick fire questions I like to ask at the very end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a simple question. It's the first thing that comes in t- to mind. Yeah. So let's start. It's going to be really, really standard question. Right. It's nothing scary right. or anything like that. No, the more you say that, the less I'm thinking it's going to be a standard question. <laughs> no, <laughs> if, you just ha- if you had to choose just one channel or tactic um, to drive success or growth, aside from SEO, then what would it be? Mm, Not you SEO. You can't say SEO. Well, I would say probably Google Ads then. Okay, cool. Okay. Because like, you love search still, right? <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, but I mean, if not, it would be Facebook. It would be whatever like scalable, you know, scalable pay-per-click strategy. Cool. So what book has had the biggest impact on your success? Uh, probably the 4-Hour Workweek because even though I don't like use it on a day-to-day or any sort of practical level now, it was the first book that introduced me to entrepreneurship. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Because I read that book. I was like, Oh my God, I get it. I can work for four hours per week now <laughs> and that's it. And it's like, I love been working a hundred hours a week ever since. So that's exactly what I meant when I said I didn't use it practically. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So what's your number one piece of advice to hire awesome people? Uh, work with them first. Uh, as a Seth Godin quote, I need to work with you before I can work with you. So there's, you know, awesome people are relative, like, you know, someone who's awesome for you might not be awesome for me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I recommend going with a tiny trial project, even if they're full time, you can hire them for 20 hours a week temporarily mm-hmm. and just see how it goes when actually working with them. Because I've found tons of people that I thought were great. And then when I actually work with them, they weren't. And I had people that I was kind of so-so with when we actually got into a project and actually you know, had problems that came up, they were great at solving it. And the mm-hmm. only way to find out is to work with them first. Okay, that, that's a fantastic one. I like that one. Cool. How do you relax after a crazy day at the office or at the home office or at the SEO ranking factory? Um, yeah, no, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of stress at the old uh, Backlinko headquarters. <laughs> My number, I actually play tennis a lot. So that helps because I usually, I usually schedule the sessions towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you just get outside, you're with someone, you're not in your home office like I am most of the day, mm. and you're hitting a ball and you can't, you can't even simultaneously play and think of problems. So yeah. it's pretty therapeutic in that way. Yeah, I had a game this evening, actually. I got... Oh, nice. I got smashed so hardcore. But it was good because like, he's so much better than me. And that's how you get better. But... No, that's how you get better, man. I didn't check my phone once because I was just like, come on. It's, it's yeah. basically... What's it called? The winner psychology. Come on, man. You can do it, man. There's a skill <laughs> level required intense. too. There's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I, yeah, tennis... I hate losing. Oh, okay. So you're competitive then? I'm competitive without the skill to, okay. to win. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> it's a tough this combination. Was way better. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Hey, look, I didn't say that it was like, like a rational thing. Um, yeah. What's your best piece of advice in terms of uh, productivity or time management? I would say having maker time and manager time. There's this uh, article by Paul Graham who mm-hmm. says you should split your time of day into maker time and manager time where you're 100% focused on creating stuff and then 100% focused on managing stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's helped me a lot because I used to get up and check email first thing or check social media. And then I'd be like, okay, now I need to write something. And my brain was just fried. It was way past the point of no return. So now when I get up, I have maker time. And I write un- uninterrupted for hours. I mean, besides breaks, but I don't check stuff. Mm. So I would say that's the number one thing is having that set time for maker time and manager time. Well, and that would take you some time to get into the habit of that because how hard is it up to, to check your phone in the morning? Far out. Like it's, it's hard, man. The number one thing I've struggled with this and what helps me whenever I get off the wagon 
is five minutes being like, I'm just going to not check my phone. I'm going to write for five minutes. Cause there's really like, no matter what happens uh, in the off, in the internet world, it can wait five minutes, five minutes. Is not going to make a difference? So, and then what happens is after five minutes, you're like, that was great. Why don't I do this more often? Let me do 10 minutes. Like you, you're not going to even want to check your phone after five minutes. So that's how I usually get into it as opposed to be like, yeah, you need to schedule four hours for writing on day one. That's pretty overwhelming. For sure. Um, second last question. So what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Uh, double down on what works. That's from my friend Noah Kagan. That it's really tempting and I'm tempted of this a lot too, is when you're, something's working, you have a business that's doing well, is to be like, now this is working, let's try something totally different. You know, SEO is working, let's go on Twitter. You know, Google ads are working, let's do blogging. And a lot of times your best bet is just to double down on what works. And if you look at companies that have grown really quickly, like Uber and Airbnb and unicorns, it's usually down to like a couple things they did over and over again. And they scale that up as opposed to like doing a million things. So that's, I would put that as number one. Yeah. Great. And I think that's a really good one because um, it's easy to get bored as an entrepreneur. It's easy to get bored when things are working. It's, and it's easy to just want more without having yeah. the expertise to get more. It's like my tennis game. Like, like I want to win, <laughs> but I ain't got the skill to beat that guy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, cool. Um, and what do you do for fun? You know, apart from tennis. Yes. That's how, you know, you relax. But apart from that, um, I'm a big, uh, reader and cooker. So for me, fun is cooking for the wife and reading a book while it's on the stove, to be honest. That's, uh, nice. that's a nice way to wind down on nights that I'm not playing tennis. Oh, that's awesome. That's it, Brian. Hey, it's done. Thank you so much for coming on um, the podcast. Um, this has been a super enjoyable conversation. I got to ask all of the geekiest questions around SEO that I could possibly ask, you know, and thank you for sharing across the board on the topics that we discussed, because I know that we went into like, like a lot of different areas and like, I appreciate actually how open that you've been. Um, so thank you so much. So for anyone that's listening, subscribe to Brian's site at backlinko.com and check out explodingtopics.com or .co.com. .co. .com, explodingtopics.com and backlinko.com. I get excited so the starter comes out, especially when I've got the quick fire questions. I should call them the slow fire questions, actually, so I can relax a little bit <laughs> towards the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, but I always get nervous with those because with, a lot of podcasts, you have no idea what's coming. Like usually, you know, the beginning's normal, then they're like, okay, we end with some rapid fire. Yours were totally normal, but sometimes people ask some wacky questions for those. Well, maybe I should ask, um, a couple of wacky ones in there, but that's not my style. Like, I just want the content, you know, the insight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. And um, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, Alex. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.